0: Let's get into it. Hello there, friends. Today, I am really excited because I'm talking to my buddy, Mike Henneberger. Mike just put out a book, a great book called Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. The book is autobiographical. What's really cool about it is every chapter has a song that's been curated by Mike from the emo pop punk scene to accompany each chapter and the themes that are inside that chapter. He even has the lyrics listed out in the chapter as well, and he references the lyrics of each song. It's really cool. Bands like Bayside, Mayday Parade, Jimmy World, The Dangerous Summer, and The Wonder Years. A lot of great bands in this book. We talk about a lot of things. He's also an award-winning photographer. He's a writer as well, and he's contributed writing to Comedy Central, Rolling Stone, Billboard Magazine, Spin Magazine, Vice, and Music Mayhem Magazine. We talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot about the book that he's written, the Themes therein, and there are definitely some mental health themes within the book. He hopes to turn the book into a TV show, and we talk a little bit about that as well. And it's really interesting hearing him talk about the self publishing aspect. I had a blast talking to Mike, really appreciate his time, and I think you guys will enjoy it too. Without further ado, my wide ranging conversation with Mr. Mike Henneberger.
1: doing all right this is the time of day where from like 3 p.m to 5 p.m the sun is just right in these windows in front of me nice they're off there they're in my
0: it's in my eyes you look sort of majestic with it it's got like a halo effect around you
1: yeah i know it gives some good uh what's it called michael bay does all the time sun
0: oh yeah like sun glare like in sun glare yeah there's a different word for it though isn't there (laughs) Solar flare, is that what it is? Lens flare. Lens flare, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. I knew it was one of those. That's the J.J. Abrams trick, right? Yeah, he got made fun of for that for a long time, right? Yeah. Because he did it in the Star Trek movies and people were like, can we just cut it with the lens flare? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He may have gotten that from Spielberg. Yeah. I could be wrong I, about that, but I know he's like...
1: A, I don't mind it so much. I think he, maybe he overdoes it. I don't know. I haven't watched... I haven't paid attention enough in his movies. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. When I watch a Michael Bay movie, I just kind of like don't pay attention to details. I just let it... It's like brain candy. You just shut your brain off and enjoy exactly.
0: it. Exactly. Yes. That's how I describe those movies for sure. I watched Force Awakens the other day. I hadn't watched it in a long time. And oh yeah, I remember this movie's pretty fun actually for the
1: new. Yeah. The, I'm not a big like Star Wars. That's another one of those kinds of movies. I just shut my brain off and they're fun, but like I'm not super into Star
0: Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You're wearing a Bayside shirt. Have you listened to Nick's Star Wars podcast at all?
1: No, because I'm not that into Star Wars. Like I'm aware of it, but I've feel like I would just be like lost on it all. If there are people who care so much about it, they have a podcast of it. I, I get lost in it.
0: I was sort of disconnected from the Star Wars universe for a really long time. I was born in 84. So I remember Return of the Jedi was on TV all the time when I was a kid. Yeah. And I kind of lost any semblance of passion I had for Star Wars when the prequels came out. And, yeah. and I just didn't really revisit the movies for a really long time. But I did start listening to that podcast and they kind of go over the first original trilogy. And it's Fun to listen to them talk about it and just nerd out about it. And it actually kind of reignited any interest I may have had for Star Wars. And it, it makes cool. me revisit them now. And I kind of have this nostalgic love for them now because it, it just reminds me of watching them as a kid. Yeah. So that's cool. I, I, I kind of romanticized the original trilogy just because they're yeah. watching as a kid.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I was born in 82 and I just, for some reason, don't really remember them being a big part of my life growing up. You know, I have definitely seen the original trilogy enough to so like multiple times but yeah i don't think i really paid attention to it until my teenage years but yeah i don't remember them being around when i was a kid so i don't i don't know why i that's cool um how i missed that you know
0: i was always into indiana jones when i was a kid too into being a teenager i feel like i was more connected to that trilogy than i was star wars
1: yeah you know what's strange though is that like have you seen the last starfighter
0: mm-hmm Oh yeah. I
1: watched that one a million times when I was a kid. That and not the like flight of the navigators in the same kind of world, but it's like a it's like a sci-fi space thing. I watched those two movies over and over and over. I don't know why I didn't watch Star Wars over and over. Yeah, Weird.
0: Maybe they were just more readily available. I watched those a bunch too. Definitely if you're a kid from the eighties, I think you've seen those movies. I used to get those two that you mentioned confused all the time. I was always Oh yeah. Which one's the one with Ethan Hawk?
1: <laughs> Wait, what is Ethan Hawk in? Which one is oh, it? Oh,
0: okay. So actually it's three movies. So it's Flight of the Navigator, The Last Starfighter. And then there was a Disney movie with Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix. And I'm huh. pretty sure that was a Disney movie where they go to outer space. And I used to combine those three movies as... I don't think I know which one you're talking about. I don't think I know yeah, that movie. It's, it's not like a space camp movie. movie, is it? No, they legitimately build a spaceship and they go to space. And at the end, they meet <laughs> and are hanging out with aliens. And it's really silly and really ridiculous. Wow. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Disney film. And I used to get those three movies mixed up. I just combine the three because at yeah. one point, you know, I was watching all those movies, but yeah, you, you watch it now. How did this ever get made?
1: <laughs> oh man, I am I hope not. I don't, I'd like to think that Last Starfighter still holds up, but it probably doesn't.
0: <laughs> that one holds up, I think, the most out of the three that I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm going to send you some clips of the Ethan Hawk Phoenix <laughs> Okay, place. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm sure there's some good clips on YouTube or something. But yeah, fun times, man. So you were born in 82. Okay, I figured that was the case. I've got your book right here. Thank you for this to me oh yeah man no thanks for checking it out rock bottom at the renaissance and i love the subtitle did you know you wanted to have a subtitle with this i'm sure you did right
1: (sighs) no actually it's funny because like the book was initially called the renaissance period but then i kind of always knew that's a horrible title because if anybody searches for it they're never going to find it there's going to be a million renaissance period books before you find mine and so for the longest time i kept trying to think of what to change the title to and i for minute, I changed it to the Renaissance EP because it was pretty short. It's only like 62,000 words, which is fairly short for a book. I think like 30,000, 40,000 words, you're like a novella if you're like a novel or whatever. I wanted it to feel like a real book, so I got it to 60,000. But when it was shorter, I called it the Renaissance EP, like playing on how it's short, but also MXPX put out an EP a long time ago called the Renaissance yeah. EP. So it was kind of like a, you know, that's the book's so much about music that that was kind of like another extra tribute to a band i love that was the one fat right yeah i think it or no i Oh, maybe it was. I thought they put it out on their own rock
0: city. Maybe they was it? Is that the one with the red and the It's the red and the black skull on it? Yeah, that was on fat. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: Then, you know, I didn't want it to be short. And so I capped it off. I pushed it to 60 and I just rock bottom at the Renaissance just came to me. And the subtitle really came from me just doing a lot of research on self-publishing mm-hmm. and listening to podcasts and, you know, reading the internet about it. And a lot of people talk, like one of the like hacks or whatever. is to like put a subtitle on your book with SEO keywords so if people search emo they'll find my book and if people search New York City they'll find my book the subtitle is an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love good word in and with New York City so yeah like my book charted like the number one bestseller in the New York City travel category it was the number five new release in the dating category it was the number one bestseller in punk biographies and punk music because that's kind of where emo stuff falls under. So yeah, it was just kind of like a trick I learned from studying about self-publishing. So, right. but a lot of people have pointed it out about how it reminds them of like early 2000s emo song titles. And yeah. I did not think of that at all, but uh, maybe it was like a subconscious thing because of course I listened to all that, but uh, yeah, could, I'm glad I'm glad that. that resonates with people.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I could definitely see this subtitle being a title track off Take This to Your Grave. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. That's rad. Cool. Well, so you're from New York. What part originally?
1: Um, Well, so I'm from Texas. I grew up in Texas, South Texas by Corpus Christi. Okay. Um, But I moved to New York almost nine years ago. So June 1st will be nine years. I live in Astoria, Queens now. I've been here for about five of those years. Oh Man, it might be six now. But yeah, so I'm in Astoria, Queens now, potentially moving to the suburbs soon. Cool. Yeah. My wife and I are having a baby in June. Congratulations. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. It's due on June 1st, which is my anniversary of moving to New York. So that's crazy. Good omen. I just clicked. It's kind of cool yeah that's crazy but yeah so we may be we're planning on moving out to the suburbs buying a house and stuff it's just right. kind of not as worth it to be in the city right now
0: yeah no i understand my apologies i for some reason i thought you said in the book that you're originally from new york so you moved to austin you were living in texas and then you moved yeah to austin okay
1: yeah i grew up like book right i grew up like four hours south of austin in this little town called kingsville which is like 45 minutes south of corpus christi which is like the big city by us so it's on the coast the gulf coast of Texas. And Kingsville was like two and a half hours from San Antonio, four hours from Austin, eight hours from Dallas. And like, those are the cities that bands would go and play in. And so I just grew up in this place that just was not close to a music scene. And so I talk a lot about that in the book about, I mean, a lot of it is about how I always dreamed of getting out of that small town and getting to somewhere like New York City. And then I got to New York City, and it was just heartbreaking. You know, if It can be like people say, it'll like chew you up and spit you out and, you know, I came here alone and not really having a lot of friends or not, I mean, I had one friend. So the book's about romanticizing a place like New York and then just getting let down by it when you get here.
0: Yeah, not to make too many pop punk references, but it kind of reminds me of Yellow Card when they moved out to the West Coast. And then you have a song like Back Home where he's talking to his family and he's saying, it's not everything I had originally thought it would be. Yeah. But I think a lot of people can relate to that sentiment, the idea of leaving your hometown, romanticizing places like the coasts, and things like that i always think of the band less than jake they wrote so many songs about leaving town yeah and ultimately ending up near their hometown or leaving and experiencing things and that's just something i think oh
1: yeah it's such a common theme i mean in everywhere actually like in country music in pop punk i mean the wonder years saying a lot about it but yeah it's it is a big theme in rock music for sure yeah which is part of like why i end up in the situation i end up in in the book i mean that's another theme of the book being brainwashed by pop culture not in a bad way like i love that like i'm i'm just honking going out can you hear that
0: yeah that's all Uh, New York right
1: yeah exactly it's one of the problems here but yeah like I, I mean I'm obsessed with pop culture I have been my whole life and that's why I work in media and have been an entertainment journalist for 15 years you know but yeah I mean that's another big part of the book is like watching these movies that romanticize New York City listening to these songs that romanticize love and that getting the best of you like when you make it this thing that's the thing that's gonna make you happy and if it doesn't then like what's going to make you happy, you know, and I mean, before anybody reads too much into that, the biggest part of the book is the mental illness that I deal with, major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. And that's what led me to have that feeling of like, well, if this isn't making me happy, I'm never gonna be happy, which isn't true. It's the mental illness playing tricks on you. It starts with the brainwashing of like music and movies.
0: Sure, no, absolutely. I love all the 80s references and the 90s culture references. I think at one point you mentioned The Wonder Years, the show, and it's funny, you've got The Wonder Years band as well. And I think that's something we come to grips with as adults. It's rarely the place that we're in that makes us happy. It's yeah. it's not so much the external circumstances, it's like the people we surround ourselves with and the, uh, the thoughts that we're thinking, the media that we're consuming and trying to live a life of purpose and meaning and things like that. And I can tell you're asking a lot of questions in the book, too. Was that the general theme? Actually, let's go back a little bit. So you had written before you started tackling this book. Yeah, for many-
1: I was a I was mostly like music journalism and entertainment journalism. I was the entertainment editor of the weekly newspaper at my college. My brother and I started a magazine back in our hometown so we could like write kind of comedic. Like op-ed stuff, but also entertainment stuff. And I had written a couple of like screenplays that, you know, enough weren't produced or anything, but that was like the extent of my writing at that point.
0: That's cool. Are you still shopping screenplays or anything?
1: You know, I actually, I I never did really. I don't know. I actually, I got on this clubhouse room last night because this TV producer was, are you friends with Ash? I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Abelson, Abelson on Facebook. So he's a film producer, but also TV producer. And he has this room on Clubhouse with some other people who, and they were, they just like let people come in and pitch ideas. And they'll like let you email them and stuff. And I'm trying, I'm working on adapting this book into a TV series. And so I wanted to get in there to kind of just like get some practice at pitching. But uh, that would have been the first time I'd ever done it. And they're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. It was like midnight already. And there was a long line ahead of me. So I had to get off and go to bed. Yeah, but um, so, um uh, yeah, no, so I hadn't ever like really pitched. It was just kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of always thought I would get there, but I don't know. There's other things came up, I guess. That's okay. You're still young, man.
0: Yeah. There's still opportunities, right? Clubhouse for anyone listening, if they don't know what that app is, it's a, it's like a shared community where there's rooms where you can have a conversation with somebody. And a lot of times people will host these meetings and they can have a theme that they're talking about. And like you said, they were allowing people to just pitch them ideas, which is kind of brilliant. It's really cool. Just another way to connect through the interwebs.
1: Yeah, and I really need to be on it more because like I moved to New York to work at Comedy Central as a digital media and social media producer. And that's where I learned eight years, nine years ago to like stay on top of all these like emerging platforms as they call them, you know. Comedy Central got really into Vine when Vine was around. But when that dropped, I kind of also learned like, okay, not everything requires or like you shouldn't just jump at everything and go all in. But like Clubhouse, people, people have been talking about how like a lot of it's a great networking thing and it's right now it's a lot of like executives and like music industry people and you can get on there like dead mouse had a room and you can just talk to dead mouse you know and that's one of the higher level ones that I've seen but like I guess like Elon Musk got in a room and then like Mark Zuckerberg got in a room and you're just there to talk to them you know
0: it's so like their stream of consciousness
1: well listen to them for sure but you know the whole point of it is to like have a conversation And so they can let you talk and ask a question or whatever. And like where else do you get that opportunity really? So last night was really the first time I actually, you know, got into it. But yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. When it comes to new social media, you always hear there's two schools of thought. I'm a personal trainer and I have an online coaching business as well. Yeah. And a lot of times I'm reading stuff on marketing with that particular paradigm in mind. And you have a lot of fitness professionals that are, you know you really need to just master one social media platform and really go all in on it. And that might mean you use one of the tried and true ones like Facebook groups or Instagram or whatever. And then some people say, no, you have to have at least somewhat of an identity on each one of these platforms and definitely try to exploit the novelty of these new ones. So maybe that's what Clubhouse is in the stages of right now. It's all about the novelty of it and just kind of yeah. the new early adopters are the ones in there right now. So it's not a bad idea to just get in. In there and try to talk to these people and network. Well, it also
1: helps that it's like invite only and they are giving, I mean, I still have like four invites for it. So like people have invites, it's not super exclusive or anything, but that helps with it kind of like not getting overrun with like, there's still time right now to get in on a conversation. You know, it's not a million people in one thing. And like on the self on like the self publishing and like in the publishing world, one of the things they talk about a lot is having a website, which is so stupid to say out loud because like eight years ago, everyone had a website. But now most people I was listening to a podcast the other day and somebody plugged their website and the hosts were like, wow, that's the first time we've had a website plugged in a long time because people just plug their social media. Mm -hmm. But like, what if you only had, you know, Facebook and it went the way of MySpace, then you have nothing, you know, or like people on Instagram who get their accounts, you know, locked or purged of followers and stuff, then what do you got? You got to kind of be and that's the whole point of like, when they talk about publishers having or authors having their own website, it's not only owned by anybody. And they also talk about email lists too, because you own those. And yeah. if you have a loyal following, then you'll never lose them because you have your website and you have your email list, you know? So yeah, it's so much and it's for everybody, man. It doesn't matter if you're an author or a if you have a fitness training thing, like, or if you're a musician, especially musicians, gotta learn all this stuff. It sucks. But I mean, if you want to stay ahead and especially now, because like, look, if you didn't have that before COVID what do you have? nothing. can't tour. you you're not getting radio play if you I mean, you're getting radio play, but you can't tour. you're not working record cycles, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to be in control of what you're doing and the only way to do that is to be online and know what what to do on there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I literally just had a conversation with Aaron Sprinkle, the producer.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I didn't get to listen to it yet.
0: Okay, but he he talks I, about that. Yeah, he mentions the fact that he wants to put out another solo record, but he's doing it independently, and he doesn't have a database of people that he has a direct communication with. Yeah, so he's gonna put out a single as a lead magnet, and then try to acquire exactly. an email list that way. so it goes yeah. right in line with what you were just saying. Yeah, I
1: loved his I loved his last like solo record. He's so he's so talented, man. And I I mean he's somebody too. Like I grew up on so many of his records that he produced. I sent I got to send him a copy of my book too a couple oh, cool. months ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's rad. Yeah, super nice dude. Like you said, we're at the mercy of what the social media giants decide to do. If yeah, they could, cr- they could crumble in a couple of years, and you know, it's and the,
1: before. And even if they don't crumble, they could say we're gonna charge you for anything you want to post. You know, like I mean, it's pretty much that way already. If you want to get everyone to see what you're posting, but yeah, yeah, at the drop of a hat. Like, I mean, everybody, like I mean, conservatives mostly were complaining about how big tech is silencing their speech or whatever. I mean they very well could and not even based on their principles but based on like somebody could pay them to silence things, you know. So like I mean, yeah, you got to be in control of of some manner of communication, you know
0: yeah, I remember I went to see okay, go. Uh, a tiny college bar in Columbia, Missouri, maybe it was probably at least 16 or 17 years ago. It was right before that music video where they're on the treadmills really. Yeah, yeah. And there was probably 50 people there. And I remember the the singer literally, I think I bought some merch that night and he had a pen and paper. He was gathering emails and I put my email down. I still get their emails 16, 17 (laughs) years later. that's insane. Something going on. They really don't hit me up a lot via email. It's usually maybe one a quarter or maybe six months or something. But I think that speaks to the power of having that database of people they probably have just thousands of people on their email list
1: yeah i never would have thought of starting an email list until like i listened to all of this self-publishing stuff and that's like their main thing it's like have an email list and yeah. but they also like tell you to like there's no self-publishing advice out in the world period for non-fiction writers and my book is non-fiction It's all for people who want to write series about, like, vampires and, I don't know, all kinds of crazy shit yeah (laughs) and so like a lot of it the common advice out there is to like give your first book out don't do anything until you have three books written give your first book out for free always forever and then (laughs) when you put your second book out sell that or like give your second book out for free and like using your books as lead magnets and that's just too much work for a lead magnet you know but people are making six figures a year and becoming millionaires by writing these like series that they sell for like $3.99 3.99 is ebooks. I don't know who these people are reading that. I don't know anybody who does that, but good for them, you know. It's so like, yeah, I never would have thought of starting an email list, but the 200 plus people I have on it are great. Like they signed up cuz they want to know like what I'm doing. I barely send shit out. I don't know. Not that often. Mm-hmm. But uh but you know that you have like people aren't going to sign up for an email list unless they're like care about what you're doing, you know.
0: Sure, absolutely. I think it's cool that you did an audio version of your book especially self-publishing. Yeah, I listened to a lot of the chapters and Tyler Posey did a great job.
1: He's so good, man. He, I love that he actually kind of, he he doesn't just read it. Like he's actually like the character in the book and acts it out a little bit. Man, it's so much better than, I was scared because he's in LA and I'm in New York and I wasn't sure if I like was gonna need to be there to direct him. And he just did it all at home himself. Wow, I thought maybe you did. No, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of times where maybe he like, like mispronounced a word and I you know, told him, like he had to go re-record something but I didn't direct him at all and I kind of wish if I were in LA I probably would have only because I want to direct the TV series and I'd like to start building that with him but no he didn't need it at all man he was so good I'm so impressed by that and he's also just a great guy like I sent him the book because we had the same publicist like Big Picture Media who represents like Hopeless Records and Newfound Glory and The Used and I mean everybody on Hopeless but also like they represent all the bands you love in like the Warped Tour scene and I've known them for I've known Dana the owner for like 10 years or actually 12 years now and she took on my book and she sent it to Tyler I asked her if I could send it to Tyler and she hooked me up and he just like loved it and related to it so I mean he just hopped on board and he also said that he's down to do the TV show too if, if we get there so
0: dude I was just about to say I think he'd do a phenomenal job yeah me too like I know what he looks like so I kind of imagine him reading it as he was reading it you know and I really I like audiobooks and I liked his inflection of the words and
1: yeah I I wish I would have gotten some video of him reading it I didn't though yeah that's okay i am currently editing a video i was while well, you know you and i were texting before this i flew to la back in like august or september and sat down with him and interviewed him about the book and about like his process of recording it and stuff and just have like why he related to it and it is like over an hour long interview and so i'm chopping that up to like put it
0: out with the audiobook that's um, great.
1: but yeah it's pretty cool
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Can you talk about the song curation, acquiring the rights for the audiobook? I'm sure that- Oh my God, man.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I've done anything more difficult than getting the rights to these songs to include in the audiobook, because I don't have any money. And so I'm asking these bands and labels and publishers to let me use the music for free, which is the only problem. If I had money to pay for these songs, it probably would have gone smoothly and quickly, but it is not. Tyler finished recording this probably last summer. And I've been working since June in licensing these songs. And I'm friends with AJ from The Dangerous Summer. So I he's been so supportive. He was one of the first people to read the book and gave me like great feedback on it. And, so, and he like offered to help any way he could. And so I asked him first to reach out to Hopeless and he did. He emailed Hopeless and asked if I could use their music for free. They said yes on the grounds of like no one else can get paid if their bands aren't getting paid. Totally fair. And that's a thing in the music industry, in music licensing, which I had to Google. I didn't know. But it's an MFN contract, Most Favored Nations. Like if somebody gets paid, then everybody has to get paid. So that was the tricky part. Hopeless gave me Dangerous Summer songs. And they gave me the Wonder Years song, If the Wonder Years signed off. And I went to their management. They signed off. So I got the Wonder Years song. So I'm getting a little momentum. And then there's three Bayside songs in it. They're all in their Victory Records albums. And some publishing company bought Victory Records, so they don't even own them anymore. And so I went to this publishing company, and they just signed up. Well, and here's the thing: is like I'm donating 50% of the royalties to charity. I've been donating 50% of my paperback and ebook royalties to charity ever since it came out. I'm going to be doing that forever. Same thing with the audiobook, and so that helps. And the fact that it's like about dealing with mental illness, I explain all this to these people, and they've all been great. And so the company. That owns Victory Records now also owns Fearless. So they gave me the permission to use the Mayday Parade song. They gave me permission to use the Bayside songs. They also own the brand new song that's in there. So they gave me permission for that. And so like it was easy for the first like couple months. But then I ran into Universal Music, who owned the Jimmy World. Publishing, well, masters. They own the Jimmy Eat World Masters and they also own the Dashboard Confessional song and they own Megan by the Smoking Popes, which is chapter five, I think. And I was lucky enough to, I reached out to Chris Caraba from Dashboard, told him about the book. We had like a zoom meeting and I went to Nashville back in like September and met with a couple of the guys from Bayside and met with Chris Caraba and Chris gave me a version of hands down to use that he owns, so I wouldn't have to go to Universal Music. The Smoking Popes gave me a version of Megan that they own, so I wouldn't have to go to Universal Music. But I still had to go to Universal Music for the Jimmy Eat World songs, they were being a big pain in the ass. So Universal Music came back around and said I could not use the songs for free, the Jimmy Eat World songs, and they were going to charge me. It was a very reasonable price that they were going to charge me. But if I paid them, I'd have to pay everybody else. And every other song in the book has already been cleared. And if I had to pay everyone else, it would be over $10,000, which I don't have. So I had been talking to Jimmy Eat World's management for months just to like let them know about the book and when the Phoenix Sessions came up these like live stream shows, concerts that they just did I thought of asking like can I use the Phoenix Session versions of 23 and Kill from the album Futures and because once they re-record it they own those re-recordings, Universal Music doesn't so that was like in the same way that Smoking Popes gave me their song I asked Jimmy World's Management and they told me that it looks like I'm going to be able to use those songs so I'm re-editing those chapters now, but I don't have to go through universal music for them. So God. now I think it's... Like, that's all I've been waiting for, man, is those and uh, the two-door cinema club song took forever too. But I finally got that cleared like a week ago.
0: So, Dude, I love that you were able to circumvent the publishing and licensing situation and you were resourceful enough to get different versions of these songs from the band members themselves. I just think that's something that not a lot of people might be willing to do, be willing to go to that much length of work and effort to really see this come to fruition and get the songs that you wanted. So kudos to you, man. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a pain uh, in the ass, man. And it's probably a boring conversation or boring topic that nobody wanted to hear that much information about. But
0: I love hearing about this stuff, man. It's all about the behind the scenes work that goes into these things. It that was, was a pain in the ass. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. It. Well, you know, I a um, podcast, but, so I run into that as well. I don't want to get sued, obviously. But at the same time, I'm talking music. So it'd be cool if I could like, yeah. display some of the things that I'm talking about, you know, and just give context to the listeners, just like you, right? Like, Well, sure. And like,
1: and this is something I deal with in my career all the time because like I was a video producer at Billboard Magazine and Rolling Stone and you're always using songs in those videos and you're always using stock footage of stuff or YouTube videos or like Instagram posts and stuff. I've had to become very familiar with like fair use laws so you don't get sued. The printing of the lyrics in the book falls under that because it's a nonfiction book and I'm actually referencing the songs. You can't just like throw the songs in there. You have to like reference them. It has to serve the purpose of in context of the book you know? Yeah. And just like if you're quoting a a scientific study that's been published in the back of the book, I have like the publisher and the, you know, the record label and the band and all that. So I didn't go through all that trouble for the book, but I knew it was not going to be okay with the music. So I had to, the reason I go into so much detail about that is because I want people to know that, well, one, I did it the right way. But two, like, I feel like a lot of people who know me or who might be like Facebook friends with me are like, oh, if that guy can do it, I can do it. That's. He, I mean, he did, I, I want to show like the ugly parts of it that are a huge pain in the ass because I don't want people to think it was like super easy
0: and sure. I don't want to mislead people and think that like, yeah, anybody could do this. Anybody can do it. It's just a lot of work. Well, yeah. And I think it speaks to your tenacity and drive. I mean, writing a book is really difficult. Just writing the thing is a huge, huge undertaking and incredibly difficult. And you have to schedule time to write. And like you said, 60,000 words, that's not like a blog post. That's like yeah. a series of blogs over months or a year or a couple of years. I mean, it's an undertaking. So I like the fact that you were tenacious enough to really go for what you wanted with this particular project. I think it's really cool that you have these songs accompanying these chapters. It really, it flows nicely. It kind of breaks up the chapters a little bit. I like a lot of the songs that you picked. Obviously, I grew up listening to similar music that you did. So I think that's really cool. And it just speaks to the drive and the nature of the uniqueness that is this project. Cool, man. Really Thanks. Cool. Yeah, of course, man. And just adding a cool detail by getting an actor who in and of himself is also part of the scene and respects the scene they come from to read it and read it so well. I think is really cool too. You know, it's just like going that extra level because you could have read it yourself and it probably would have been great. But clearly you have a vision for this particular project.
1: Yeah, well, and it's because it's so personal, you know, and it's so like, I mean, this book would not be out in the world if I didn't feel better mentally, you know, or like if my my mental health wasn't, hadn't progressed from where it was in the book. I mean, I started writing this book like the weekend it, that the book covers was in 2011. It covers like the
0: first couple years I lived in New York. Was that in 2011 that you moved to New York or the first couple years you had been there?
1: It's going to confuse things, but I moved here in 2012, but I lived here in th- 2011 for an internship. And so the hotel weekend, it's actually a very, the timing of the book is kind of like warped, so, I just say it's a memoir of the first like four years I lived in New York. The flashbacks and everything mm-hmm. um, are about like one of them's from like a time I visited New York and met a girl. And then others are from when I lived here and dated certain girls, you know? Right. Um, it's from the period, the period of years that I first moved, when I first moved to New York and lived here, or when I
0: first lived in New York. Moving to New York in 2011, that was a really confusing time in my life. So, I'm just wondering if you were experiencing the same thing around that time. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, I was in my like, late 20s when I moved here. And I wrote it when I was 28. That's when I started it, the weekend that it started. But it like took me years to go back to it. You know, I wrote a lot of it in that weekend that I'm in the hotel that is a big part of the book. Mm -hmm. But when I left that hotel, from those who read it will see like what a dark period of my life that was that I didn't want to return to it and so I was talking about like this book would not be out if I didn't feel more mentally healthy and that took that many years to happen you know Mm -hmm. and so when I left that hotel in 2011 I didn't touch this book for over a year because I remembered how it was such a dark weekend that I didn't want to put myself in that headspace again to go back Mm -hmm. to it because as long as I've dealt with depression and anxiety I've never wanted to you know a lot of people like romanticize it and a lot of people like especially like artists you know, want to suffer for their art. I've never wanted to. And that scared me to go back and finish this book. But at the same time, it was the most writing I'd had ever done in a very long time. And it was so important to me that I knew I wanted to finish it, but it took me a good year plus to go back to it because I was scared to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I did finish it, it took me a couple years to let it out into the world because I didn't, I was still dealing, I mean, I'm, I'll always deal with depression and anxiety, but I was still dealing with it pretty badly that I didn't want people to read this book and know, oh shit, that's what's going on in Mike's head. He's pretty messed up. So when the fact that you have it and other people will have it and that it's available out in the world to buy just means that like now I'm no longer afraid of people thinking that because I'm that's not the case anymore. If people read that book, you can't think like, oh, this is what's going on in Mike's head. If you read that book, you have to think, oh, this is what Mike overcame, you know, and I'm super proud of that. So that's the only reason that it's that it's out right now.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great, man. You put yourself into the bullpen, you put yourself into the arena and you're willing to be battered and bruised and be vulnerable with this book. And I think that's a brave move. I definitely related to reading a lot of the chapters in the book and this podcast isn't about me, it's about the people that I bring on here and the music and everything is is kind of the anchor point but I remember being in my late 20s and losing what I felt like was my mind at the time I was experiencing similar things, I was experiencing panic and dread and those looming existential thoughts that I think a lot of people in their late 20s can relate with, right? Yeah. And I look back at the time similar time period for you around that 2009 to 2012 mark where I had to make a lot of decisions about the type of person that I ultimately wanted to become. And I've kind of been working to get there ever since. And I'm proud of the progress that I've made, but it does make it easier for me to go back and retell the story of where I was in those moments, which I, like you probably, you know, I, I was experiencing a lot of shame about that time period of my life. I felt like I was just floating through life with no purpose. I felt like a total loser. And I was just colliding with circumstances that I thought life was happening to me. And I was kind of in a woe is me mentality. Yeah. But I was going to say, it sounds like hopeless is no longer your default setting. You bridged that gap, you came out of it and you worked on yourself afterwards. So it's yeah, not it's for sure. To re, to re- tell those stories and to have this book out into the ether. Yeah, and I didn't
1: even realize that myself until I like reread this book while I was still hiding it from everybody. I want to say it was around 2015, 2016 I reread it and I didn't even feel like it was about me anymore. I felt like I was reading a novel about some character, you know. And even now when I talk about it I often refer to the guy in the book as the character in the book because it's me and I lived through that, but holy crap, man. I look at that person Now and it doesn't feel like me anymore, which is great. But yeah, I mean, it took a long time for that to happen. And I dealt with that a lot of people have like pointed out how, you know, I'm not gonna spoil the ending, but a lot of books about people going through hard times kind of have happy endings about like how they got through them. And this doesn't have that because it took a long time for me to, you know, get there. And so yeah, I mean, it just happened one day that I I reread it and it clicked with me that that's not me anymore and so that's when i started working on putting it out but the same like effort i'm putting into the audiobook i put into putting the actual book out you know like i didn't have it proofread and i didn't have it formatted and i didn't have i didn't know anything about self-publishing so it, it definitely took me like over a year to figure that out and then i wanted to work with big picture to put it out which probably was easier to do when COVID hit because their roster wasn't so they weren't so busy with tours and stuff like that. So it definitely started with me reading it and feeling like that's not me anymore. And that's why it's out. I want people who are going through this stuff to see that like there will be a time where you'll look back at that time and, and it won't even feel like that was you. You know.
0: Yeah, your identity shifts and you start acting in accordance in different ways that shapes and cultivates your identity. There's a ton of learning lessons in the book. Did this sharpen your empathy tool? Not just for other people, but for yourself as well.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Not for myself at all, which I wish it had. I definitely need more of that. I beat myself up so much. I hold myself so one of the things that has not changed about this book is I still I don't know how I can ever feel like like I'm reaching my potential, you know? And that's a big problem in the book too that like is one of the factors leading to why I'm so messed up in the book. There's the obvious face value of dealing with the girl who's rejecting me at the time. But also I talk a lot in the book about how I wanna be a writer and I wanna write important things. I hadn't been doing it at that time I mean I went on my first tour in my first band when I was 17 and I booked that tour because the same effort I'm putting into this audiobook, that's where it comes from like playing in independent bands and like putting the effort into managing and booking those bands that's DIY ethos yeah man that's all I know and that's part of the reason why I never like pitched shows is because I always thought like oh, I could just do it myself but there's mm-hmm. a lot of things I can't do myself but yeah I had some cool like successes early in my life and so that just set this bar really high for me I have no empathy for my I I do not let myself off the hook for anything I've always had it for people for other people especially people who deal with mental illness I never needed anything to like point me in that direction to have that for those people I've always wanted to help other people but yeah man I I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lot of I'm gonna think about that question a lot man for the tonight for sure but (laughs) i'm sure i'll come back to it a lot because i beat myself up so much about like not achieving my potential
0: well i'm glad i can give you a, (laughs) a question to meditate on i have empathy for you experiencing mental health issues myself i can definitely relate it's not just sympathy it's empathy because i know exactly not exactly what you're going through but i have a good understanding of some of the things that you probably experienced and maybe that's something that can help you you can start asking yourself the hypothetical question if you were your own best friend i mean i know this is kind of like we're sitting in therapy or something, but that was a good one for me to learn. If I'm going to be compassionate with others, maybe hypothetically, I can think of myself as another one of my close friends that I'm also empathetic and compassionate with. And what would I I say to a friend? Can I say that to myself in this moment now?
1: No, that's great. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind because I am all for the cheesy stuff. And I say that with like, by going back to like never doing yoga because I thought it was lame and I thought (laughs) like only women do yoga. And then I did yoga and it was so great. And it's it's real really a hard workout too but I loved doing it. And then also meditation. I thought it was cheesy. I never wanted to do it. I thought the people like yoga, I thought the people who do it are cheesy. And then I started meditating and I felt the effects of it almost immediately, especially like, like I have ADD. And so like, I'm so bad at focusing, still pretty bad at focusing, but I'm better at coming back out of that distraction. And so like, you know, like you were saying, like it's like we're in a therapy session or whatever, whatever, like what you just said, like people could like, I can see people like Rolling eyes to or thinking like, oh, that's cheesy. Like, telling if I was my own best friend, what would I say? But that's the truth of it, man. It's like all this shit that I've like put off for so long journaling, which I still put off, meditation, which I've gotten way better at all of it that I threw away as like, that's cheesy and it's stupid. Like, I like every time I try it, I see why people told me to try it, you know? And so, hopefully, anyone who's listening who like rolled their eyes at that will think again and try it. I'm going to try that for sure.
0: No, trust me. I'm one of the most cynical people in the world, can be, if left on <laughs> devices. So yeah, at one point or another, I thought all this stuff was the most contrived bullshit of all time and had a huge allergy yeah. to it. And then I started actually doing it. Oh, some of these things are actually game changers a little bit. Yeah. I've actually, I've actually been able to cultivate some space between my reactions to things and how I handle them and how I react and that sort of thing. And that's actually been yeah. beneficial. So yeah.
1: I had even written off therapy, like talk therapy for a long time because I had a lot of bad therapists and I mean I'm not whatever I'm not naming names but like maybe they weren't bad therapists they just weren't the right therapists for me sure and for the last like over two years I've had a great therapist at the VA who's changed everything for me I mean that's probably why the book's out that's probably why like i can talk about these things publicly and not be ashamed of them yeah it's because like i found the right talk therapist a little over two years ago and it's changed so much for me man
0: that's great man another game changer for sure yeah for sure i think uh, everybody could benefit from for sure
1: and it's also something that's easily written off for people even when you try it because you don't find the right ones i'll tell like the listeners like i've had probably five therapists i've tried five therapists in my adult life and i'm a veteran so i go to the va like every every month and i've gone through so many there just because like i don't know they're all old they were all old and like one like had a hip surgery and was out for months so i had to get a new one and Mm -hmm. so i've had a lot of them who just like didn't really show interest or give me good advice they just like checked my medications and gave me refills and so like you got to find the right one. You know, sure. therapy, I can say is a thing that works for everybody. If you find the right one, you know, it, it seems like it, it seems like something that would work for everybody if you find the right therapist. you know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And they say sometimes you have to experience a couple different people or a few different people to kind of find the one that you have a connection with, or maybe their style of talk therapy, their style of CBT jives with the way you're wired. Right. So yeah. And then sometimes therapists, they just kind of ask questions and and then sometimes you have them that are a little bit more on the life coach spectrum can definitely roll my eyes at that title too you know that kind of seems kind of contrived but sometimes a life coach will give you more direction will give you more pertinent advice it's yeah. less about like having you to make those discoveries yourself through them just questioning or asking you questions and things like that so there's yeah a lot of different types and a lot of different people
1: i'd love to find a therapist who like works in the creative world you know because like that's one thing i'm missing with my therapist is that like i'm so bad at making myself sit down and do the work you know and so i kind of need a little life coaching in it yeah but
0: uh accountability well, yeah coaching and stuff like that yeah 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 yeah. that's kind of what i do with my online program but
1: i you know man stories? i see all your posts and i'm like oh, man i, I want to ask about it but also it's just like a i don't know how much more i can like let into my life right now you know yeah, 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 how, mu- how sure. much i can how much i can commit to things and i know that you know it's all pointless if you're not going to commit to it and so else right but yeah no dude i see the stuff that you post and i'm like man i want to like because i've i've gained so much weight especially since like covid and i've been in fairly decent shape in my life but yeah man and then like with the kid coming soon i just like i want to be i'm like having a kid at 38 like i want to be able to keep up with the kid and i just need to like start getting in shape and stuff so
0: yeah dude all in good time my man you're still yeah yeah. don't beat yourself up we all gained weight during covid trust me myself included yeah Uh, that was a collective trauma experience so yeah yeah, for sure so yeah don't beat yourself up but if you ever have any questions or need anything
1: for sure i just saw how many like videos you have on youtube and i'm definitely gonna be hitting those up because i got a bunch of weights and
0: stuff and you yeah, know do it i use it as a resource i i put stuff up there all the time so yeah i just have i think i just have one more question i want to be respectful of your time oh
1: no i mean yeah for sure you got your meetings or whatever you got something coming up
0: yeah my girlfriend she has two kids and we're doing online zoom parent teacher conference tonight so well
1: cool. you're in uh you're in nashville
0: i'm not no good guess though i'm in kansas city oh really yeah.
1: For some reason, I thought you were in Nashville.
0: Yeah. I love Nashville. My yeah. partner in crime, her best friend lives in Nashville. So we go there a lot. Cool. Yeah. So maybe you saw me picture. I think it was just or like or your music industry
1: ties or something. I, yeah. f- I feel like I, I know a couple of other kind of motivational trainer people in Nashville, too. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I just took your like music industry connection to that and like placed you in Nashville for some reason. Okay.
0: Cool. Yeah, no, I love Nashville. We go there a lot. So I hope this makes sense. After writing the book and then looking back and thinking, I've changed a lot and I'm willing to be vulnerable now and I can be vulnerable and put this out into the ether and hope that it helps people in some way or connects with people some way. Was there a period of time where you were working on yourself to to become the type of person that the girl, I say the girl in quotations, because she's a character in this book too. Were you working on the type of person that you wanted to be for her?
1: No, you know, I mean... I think I think a big part of it is that I learned not to do that eventually, you know. And look, maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe I got so cynical. Like if you read this book, we'll see why I would become cynical about that. And so maybe I just gave up, you know? I definitely didn't consciously give up on finding the girl, you know? I was still dating and whatever. I've been happily married for five and a half years now. Mm -hmm. We got a kid on the way in June. I mean, it's ridiculously like you want to roll your eyes at something or puke about something. It's how perfect I think me and my wife are together you know it's ridiculous like we love just hanging out with each other all the time and like she's a nurse and so she works nights and I've been working from home since March so we're just like around each other all the time and Mm it's great. Like we love hanging out with each other. And I think I just like stopped. I don't know. I wish I uh, look, I need to stop acting like I know the answer to this because I don't. It wasn't like that with her, you know, like with her, we actually met on Tinder and then like went out on a date, went out on a date two days later and then hung out like every day after that. And just yeah and like we moved in with each other within like six months, I think. Yeah, I mean, it just happened the right way
0: okay and so you two are working together to become those people yeah that you each deserve
1: and also like one of the great things i do remember being very conscious of when we, when we were on our first date was that we were both kind of in these places in life where we were on the path to where we wanted to be but we weren't where we wanted to be and we were both like 30 30 to 31 you know mm-hmm. and so like i wasn't conscious of it but it was an acceptance of like we're okay as who we are you know and the, the book I write a lot about like, well, maybe if I could write this book, she would like me more. Or maybe if I had more, if I was, had my shit together more, or if I, you know, this, this, or this, these girls would like me more, you know, mm-hmm. but we were kind of in the same place and it was so like perfect. And then, and since then, I mean, we've gotten farther on those paths that we want to go on because we've been encouraging each other. Like I put this book out, she went to nursing school and she's a nurse now. Like we've been supportive of each other. And so like another, Another thing I was not conscious of and didn't ever really think about is that like this whole book is and I always tell people like this book is not about like some unique experience I had and I think that's what makes it great is that it's about feeling shitty for the same reason everyone feels shitty about at some point in their life you know it's nothing unique but when we met it was exactly like the opposite of the book not needing to be anything new but finding like it completely like makes the book obsolete you know (laughs) Mm like I was totally wrong about my way of thinking at that point that I needed to be somebody different because you find the person that loves you for who you are and roll your eyes but but uh, not you, you're not rolling your eyes. But, But like, I would roll my eyes if I heard that. But no, man, it's so perfect. And so like, I didn't try to be anything new and I didn't try to be anything different, I eventually just came to the realization that, I mean, I actually never even came to that realization. Life just happened without me having to be different. Yeah. And I think that's what everybody should realize is that, like, you don't have to be different for anybody. Like, life will happen for you, you know? I mean, unless you're, like, a crackhead or, like, I mean, not something to joke about, but, like, I, like, um, there are some things you do need to change. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, if you're just a regular person, man, like, don't change for a specific specific person, you know, like,
0: yeah, don't change who you are. Somebody will accept you flaws and all. Yeah. But it's about the growth. It's about personal growth.
1: And also like what I did realize is that life didn't have to be about someone else accepting you, you know, which is so weird because like I grew up, like when I was in high school, I had the middle of my head shaved and the sides shaved and I just had a ring of hair. Mm -hmm. I didn't care about people accepting me. I was the lead singer of a Christian ska band for five years. I didn't care about people accepting me, you know, it's so like, but at well, that's some that, point, that's
0: dichotomy, right? You know, like you don't necessarily need anybody's approval, but yeah, you end up falling for somebody who can not accept you as you are. Yeah,
1: and there were things in between that happened that kind of messed me up to where I needed people's approval more. But life got better without getting approval. You know, I focused on other things I wanted to do so I could approve of myself, and then like it didn't matter if I had anybody else's approval yeah yeah it's great I love it that's punk rock right yeah just just, I don't know my life went shit as I stopped subscribing to the punk rock ethos that's it (laughs) it's
0: that simple That's awesome, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Thank you again for sending me the book. It's really great. I hope people check it out. I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this type of music are going to be able to relate and the music coincides with the message in the book. And it's just cool to see people creating something out of nothing. I mean, the fact that you said you had these experiences and now you have this tangible creation in your hand. It's just like being in a band, you know, there's nothing more exciting than taking nothing and turning it into something or taking these experiences and manifesting that into art and a project like this so well yeah and
1: i told anthony from bayside and i told aj from the dangerous summer that like if i could play guitar better this would have been an album because that's all i know music more than anything i never thought i'd write a book in my life and that's what this would have been you know but i can't play guitar and like i look at it as early bayside records and early dangerous summer records that are about depression and about, and there are songs about suicide and stuff like that but those guys didn't kill themselves they wrote songs and they're still here writing songs. And those songs have helped me get to where I am, you know? And so I didn't set out with this goal because I was so messed up when I wrote this, but that's how I see it now, is that like I was able to turn that darkness into something that hopefully will help others too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can do a round two sometime and talk music because man, the last two records of the last two bands you mentioned, The Dangerous Summer and Bayside, I love both those records. Yeah. That that last Dangerous Summer record was my favorite record that year. I listened to that more than any other record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just really yeah. feel like that band has really overcome a lot of obstacles. and I love when bands grow up with you Absolutely. and like become
1: adults and you get to like hear them become adults because yeah. you're becoming an adult. And those two bands have definitely done that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a sweet Bayside shirt. That's rad. Thanks, man. Well, cool. I'll send you a link to the Star Wars podcast. My favorite episode. I'll, it'll be one okay. of the original a trilogy movies. They go over it. And it's pretty fun. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to plug besides the book?
1: Oh, man. That's it. I mean, people can find me on social media, A Burger Joint, B E R G E R, or Mikey Lee Rock, M I K E Y L E E R O C K. Yeah. And I, I post updates there. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, wherever. Um, but yeah, I'll be posting stuff about the audiobook. I'm going to do an auction, or not an auction, but a raffle when the audiobook comes out. I've got like 10 copies of the book that are signed by Bayside, Chris Caraba, Tyler Posey, Matt Hoops from Reliant K. I got I just 10 had a birthday po- yesterday. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, and 10 posters signed by them to a bunch of koozies signed by those guys. I bought a few Jimmy World autographed Phoenix Sessions posters, I'm gonna raffle off to. Right. So, um, yeah, follow me on social media to keep up with all that stuff.
0: Okay, and how do you pronounce your last name? I just want to make sure I don't mess Henneberger. up. Henneburger. Henneburger, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Red. Awesome, we'll do. Cool, pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure I'll, I'll talk to you on the interwebs. And, yeah, for uh, sure. Continued success with the book, man. Thanks again for sending All right, it. Hey, thanks, really man. It. All right. All right, well, dude. Have a great rest of your day, and see you I'll too. soon. All right, bye. All right, see you, buddy.